Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, it's that time of year, Volume 4 is almost ready for release. Tom and Steve's Handbook Elves, including yours truly, have been working behind the scenes to get the book perfect and, and make it a bit of a, a brilliant stocking filler, uh, which I think it will be, in my extremely unbiased opinion. Uh, as ever, I'm Joe Donahue, your host of the Scouted Football Podcast, and today I'm joined uh, once again by Justin Sosa, longtime scouted contributor and, and our expert on all things MLS and, and various youth international tournaments. Uh, how's things over there with you, Justin? Uh, they're going well. Uh, getting ready for MLS Cup tonight, so it should be exciting. A little disappointed with the other under-17s at their World Cup, but it's all part of this transitional phase we're going through. Yeah, this, uh, you mentioned there the MLS Cup and, and, and the under-17s World Cup as well. Two topics that we're going to discuss in this podcast, a bit of a mashup uh, with obviously the Under-17 World Cup being hosted in Brazil at present and as you just said, just in MLS Cup final tonight between Seattle Sounders and uh, Toronto FC. We'll be focusing on a few players, just standouts, you know, who's who's really caught our eye uh, in in the Under-17 World Cup this year and, uh, and also... Justin, you're going to be telling us all about um, the the standout players in the 2019 season of MLS and who we, we should be looking out for in, in 2020 in, in that watch list. So that's probably the best place to start with MLS. Justin, you're you're our expert on all those all, all those sorts of things, the teams over there. Um, who have been your standout players throughout the, the 2019 season? Well, I think it's safe to start at LAFC where they kind of have a young core to build their team off of. Um, and I think a big name that a lot of people are starting to recognize now is Diego Rossi, um, who's had links with Fiorentina towards the end of this MLS season, potentially leaving in January. He's got 35 goals and 16 assists over the last two years with LAFC um, and was named an MLS All-Star this year. Um, quite frankly, he's been sensational coming into the league at 19 and now 21, um, partnering Carlos Vela on the wings for LAFC and just kind of being a real dynamite player. And then at the same time, they have uh, Edward Atuesta, who was also named um, in the MLS Best 11 for this year and really is the heart and soul of LAFC as they are as a team and their brand of uh, soccer. Um, And quite honestly, just is an underrated hero in that team because of how important he is to their functionality as a group yeah that's great i mean from the very few games that i've seen um of of lafc um whenever i have watched you you know diego rossi does stand out as, as well as as well as obviously carlos vela because they do seem to be the two players with the best technical ability on the ball and it's interesting you mentioned uh, eduardo atuesta as well because he's he's another one that yes he's got good technical ability but he seems as though he has a bit of a bit of bite about him as well in the middle would you would you agree with that in a really athletic league like the mls i think it's important now for teams to have players who are that aggressive midfielder um but are more than capable of kind of picking up the ball and bringing it forward uh breaking defensive lines and it's just interesting because the the way that things are now in mls it seems like a lot of those players are coming in from south america and uh, Edward Atuesta, when I watch him play, is kind of like a more technical, more offensive Diego Chara from the Portland Timbers in the sense that like he's going to be aggressive with you and he's going to put off your game by getting in your face. But at the same time, when the team's moving in transition, 
he's flawless in attack and he's finding his uh, more progressive players further up the field um, with some really good passes. So he's he's been a really interesting player since coming. Yeah, he's always seemed like a, a combative, deep progressor whenever, I, whenever I've watched him. Um, another name that you've discussed at, at length with, with, with us on separate occasions is, is, is Paxton Pomical. Um, I know that he's a player that you like and, and I believe he's another MLS All-Star. Yeah, he um, was named to the All-Stars again this year. Um, was actually named to the Under-20 World Cup squad uh, for May and was a huge standout amongst a lot of European-based players um, in the squad. And I just really like his style of play because um, the way that I see it is that he has uh, a similar work rate and like uh, energy about him that Tyler Adams does. It's just that he tends to use it more in the final third than in the defensive third like Adams does because he sits deeper. Um, but Pomichael is more of like an eight box-to-box midfielder. Um, and he's had to play as a 10. He's had to play as a winger from time to time. But when he's given the opportunity to just run around and kind of do his thing in the final third rather than be forced to play so close to the forwards, uh, I think he excels most right there. You were saying there that Pomichael was was at the Under-20 World Cup uh, with the U.S., um, and he was a standout there for them. Uh, another another player who was at the Under-20 World Cup and, and did stand out uh, was someone we've discussed on this pod before, uh, Brian Rodriguez, um, who, who then signed for, for LAFC from Peñarol in Uruguay. And he was he was great. And the the signing of him for, for, for LAFC, I thought was was positive. I thought it was a good... Um, it was a good landing point for a player who, yes, had excelled at a youth international tournament, but perhaps a move to Europe may have been a bit premature. Um, I mean, you you'll have seen more of him for LAFC than than I have, but just from little snippets and stuff, he does seem to have that dynamism, and you know, he will pop shots off from range. He'll position himself quite wide and then cut in, and 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 real be a real menace in that half space just outside the outside the box. That's what I saw at the Under-20 World Cup. I mean, in MLS throughout 2019, or well, since he signed for LAFC, has he kind of fulfilled that brief? Has he done the same? Yeah, um, he he came into the squad towards the end of the season, but basically became a, an outright starter as the playoffs began. Um, and I just remember watching him uh, when LAFC played LA Galaxy, and it was kind of unreal to see how technically skilled he was and how well he can move in between tight spaces. Um, he was rarely ever put off by having defenders in his face. He was very calm and composed in the way that he would get down the wing um, and try and find one of his teammates with a, with a ball uh, cut back towards the top of the box or like straight across. Um, he's just very intelligent and very mature Um in a position where I think a lot of young players get overwhelmed in their offensive responsibility, either want to do too much or are not sure of what to do because there's so many options. Um, but it just seems like he's very, very confident regardless of the situation at hand. Um, I don't think he's as much as a goal scorer as Diego Rossi is for LAFC. Um, essentially, Rodriguez will be replacing Rossi uh, as it seems like he he will most likely leave next year. Um, but then again, uh, he's, he's he hasn't had a really uh, full season under his belt. So next year he could come out and bang in just as many or even more goals uh, than Rossi did in his first year at, in MLS. But um, it is very exciting to see the two of them link up uh, for LAFC and especially for a team that's just very progressive and very attacking. Um, 
It really just lets the two of them kind of express themselves. And then to see or to have Carlos Vela uh, in the middle of both of them being that target man is just um, really something nice to watch. It's interesting that you mentioned um, that, that he will be replacing Diego Rossi. Um, uh, there's been a lot made about Rossi perhaps coming to Europe and perhaps coming to Italy, for example. I mean, do you see any credible links so far? Um, as far as I've seen, it's really just been rumors with Fiorentina, and I haven't seen much else with substance um, linking to a move to Europe. Um, it just seems like one of those moves, and he seems like one of those players where it's kind of inevitable that he'll leave, especially him being only 21 years old, I'm pretty sure. Um, he's already shown that he's kind of exceeding the talent level in MLS, and if he's going to start pushing for a senior spot uh, with the Uruguay national team or just to make a better career for himself, he most likely will try to force the move to Europe, I think, this year. Yeah, so if, so he is, essentially has outgrown He's outgrown MLS, which, to be fair, is, is 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 natural progression for a player of his quality. I mean, you mentioned his goals tally and his assists tall um, earlier, but I mean, do you think that someone like Brian Rodriguez will be capable of of replicating that output? Because I mean, that that is a lot of goals that the LAFC would be losing hypothetically if he were to to go to Europe in, in the next few months. Yeah, um, I just think it's a matter of him kind of adjusting to what um, Bob Bradley and what the LAFC coaching staff want him to do in his position. Um, if you look at Rossi's numbers before he came to LAFC, he was kind of in the same position where you wouldn't expect him to be an outright goal scorer. Um, but then he comes here and he's put into basically one of, if not the best team in the league um, that plays an offensive brand. Um, and he's tucking away double digit goals for two seasons in a row. So essentially with Brian Rodriguez kind of filling Rossi's role, should he leave? Uh, I would anticipate he'll at least hit double digits next year if, if all things go well. We're hoping that he can do that for, for, for sure. Um, he's definitely a player that we really like. But um, you were saying that um, that LAFC were probably the best attacking side or and probably one of the best best sides in, in MLS throughout 2019. And yet they're not in the in the final of the, of the MLS Cup. I mean, for, for people who aren't as perhaps as savvy to, towards what's happening in MLS. What is the, the playoff system like and, and just how does it work? And why is, why is a team like LAFC, if they've been the best side, not, not there? Um, well, they just changed it for this year with the playoffs being uh, single elimination rounds. Um, the league is split up into an Eastern and Western conference and basically the top seven teams within, within each conference uh, move on to the playoffs. And so if you finish in first, you're given a first round by. Um, and then it's basically like uh, tournament style until the winner of the Eastern Conference plays the winner of the Western Conference in MLS Cup. Um, the playoffs are definitely a very funny thing, um, given that LAFC were the outright best team this year. Uh, and they don't make MLS Cup final because the Seattle Sounders outplayed them on a single game. Um I think it adds to the drama and the individualism of the league. I'm not necessarily the greatest fan of it or the biggest fan of it, um, but it really is something that just allows teams that you wouldn't think deserved or even had a chance of being league title winners that opportunity. Cause you can come in 
out of all 14 teams that qualify initially, you could be the 14th best team in that list. And if you have a strong string of four or five games, you're MLS Cup champions. Um, so a lot of people think that's really exciting. A lot of people think that doesn't make any sense, but I think that's just kind of what makes MLS MLS. In terms of, we're just on the topic of talking about good teams in MLS, um, NYCFC, they, they were managed by uh, Dominic Torrent over the course of this season. Um, and he's obviously just left uh, the club. I mean, do you feel his influence helped to develop any young players in particular at NYC? Yeah, I think um, since he's kind of taken over, um, Jesus Medina has probably been their standout young player, um, though he's kind of aging on a little bit out of that scouted range. Um, Valentin Castellanos is another South American that they brought in who initially didn't look like he was going to get far in the league um, with his few like substitute appearances and starts. Uh, it didn't seem like he was going to offer what NYCFC needed from their star forward. Um, but towards the end of this season, he really kicked on and provided 11 goals and eight assists for NYCFC this year. Um, and just had a really solid year. Uh, and then from their academy, the likes of um, Justin Hack and Joe Scally are starting to see a few professional minutes. But most importantly, James Sands, who was their first ever homegrown signing and really was uh, hyped up to be, you know, this next great American center back or center defensive mid as he kind of plays between the two. Um, and he did play as center back for the majority of this year with NYCFC. Um, it was just a few consistent injuries kind of slowed his progress down this year. Um, and missing the under 20 world cup was a bit of a, a weird one considering our center back death at the tournament wasn't great. Um, but I really think that heading into next year, should Sands stay healthy, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be a star to watch. James Sands missing out on the Under Twenty World Cup. Obviously, the, he was. You know, the injury took its toll. Um, but you could see that when the US were playing there, that it was they were missing a player of his of his experience really, because he had been playing for for NYCFC and been very good uh, for them. And yeah, he does look to be one of the more promising ones. And and. I mean, you before we before we started recording, you earmarked him as as one that that should be on sort of a, a twenty twenty watch list per se. Um, and yeah, I think that with a new coach coming in, he has a possibility to start fresh and and really put those injuries behind him and, and hopefully really kick on. There's one player that I've that I've seen in fits and starts um, is Cole Bassett. Because he was, I think he's is he seventeen or eighteen, but he he always seems to to pop up with the odd goal or assist somewhere, and I always see sort of on flash scores or whatever when I'm checking scores or checking who's been playing in certain games. And Cole Bassett's name's just popping up here and there, and you think you know it's great for a seventeen, eighteen year old kid to be to be doing so well and getting consistent minutes. Yeah, um, Bassett's really the pride and joy, I feel, of Colorado's academy, especially in recent years. Um, they haven't necessarily produced a star um, of his kind of level at his age. Because um, he is 18, he's he's already been linked with moves to Freiburg and kind of on that similar path as many other Americans, kind of looking to leave their MLS academy for an academy in the Bundesliga. And now a lot of kids are leaving to go over to the Eredivisie to play with um, Ajax or PSV. And 
Bassett's just a very good midfielder in the sense that he helps transition the ball between defense and offense very well. Um, I feel like he has a lot of potential to be a playmaker, not so much from a deep role, but definitely one where if he's he's going to want the ball often and he's going to want to find his forwards making runs in behind. Um, and yeah, that, that natural goal scoring instinct, he just seems to be able to pop up for, pop up with one um, whenever the time calls for it. Um, it'll be really interesting to see if he stays uh, heading into next year at Colorado and wants to kind of solidify his starting role in midfield or if he's going to potentially look at suitors over in Europe. Um, and then Colorado also have uh, Sam Vines going for them really well um, this year. Kind of just came into the starting lineup, not really – aware of whether he'd be there full time for the entire season or if it was just another one-off appearance, but he locked down the left bot, left back spot um, for his own for the majority of this year. Um, he's a very reliable left back. He's not going to provide too much offensive prowess, um, but he's not going to let you down defensively and he can move the ball up um, to kind of just get into the feet of players who will get more and get into more advanced positions. Um, and he's just another one that I think a lot of U.S. fans are kind of shouting to have an opportunity at playing left back with the senior team. That's a position now that we're really, really struggling to fill um, with Sergio Desk kind of committing to us. It might help a little bit, but to have an outright left back like Sam Vines come in and potentially do well for the senior team um, would be absolutely fantastic for Colorado and for the U.S. So yeah, they they have been um, a number of players that have really stood out um, throughout the 2019 MLS season, and and ones definitely that should be should be watched for for 2020 uh, in the upcoming season. Um, you know the likes of Sam Vines and Valentin Castellanos and, and Cole Bassett, those sort of very young players, but also the likes of James Sands, who has has had a bit more experience in the league, and uh, and obviously Brian Rodriguez and. A lot will hinge on his development. A lot will hinge on on where Diego Rossi goes, but yeah, that just wraps up our MLS uh, content for for this part of the pod. But another thing that myself and Justin we've always been very keen on is the youth international tournaments. So I mean, just in that short segment there, we obviously discussed the Under Seventeen World Cup, the Under Twenty World Cup, about players who we'd seen there who then used that used those tournaments as a platform to 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 get a move. So, for example, like Brian Rodriguez getting a move to LAFC after the Under Twenty World Cup, we we at scouted. We love we love youth international tournaments. We think they're brilliant for shining a light on players from perhaps more obscure nations that haven't had a light shone on them whatsoever, and then they do it on a on a platform which is which is for the world to see. And I mean, one of the one things that I was quite annoyed about uh, is that the Under Seventeen World Cup isn't being shown by any British broadcasters. Um, so I've got a bit of beef there. With, with all of them. But thankfully, we have other means of watching the games. Um, so we have been able to, to keep tabs on, on who's, been, who's been playing well at the Under-17 World Cup, um, which at the time of recording is, is at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, we've got South Korea, Mexico and Netherlands, Paraguay, uh, Spain versus France and Italy versus the hosts. Brazil are the final eight teams in there. And there are some big names in there, some very big names. Um, 
the likes of João Peglo has been great for Brazil. Um, the just the, the Dutch team, Sunt Johansson. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna touch on them more in depth uh, further on in this pod. But I mean, in terms of the, at this year's Under Seventeen World Cup, is there anyone that's really really stood out for you, Justin? Yeah. So um, per, uh, Ecuador are no longer in the tournament. They were knocked down the last round, but. Just after seeing how well their under-20 side did um, in their qualifiers for their World Cup and in the uh, their under-20 World Cup, just wanted to keep an eye on them. And one player I thought really stood out was uh, Johan Mina, who's a bit of a center forward uh, who likes to kind of drop into midfield a little bit and get, his, uh, get the ball on his feet, try and find his wide players, try and link with his center mids. Um, just watching him play, you can kind of see that his maturity level was already above most of the other 17-year-olds he was playing alongside. Um, he was very um, demanding and just really ran the Ecuadorian midfield well. Um, he kind of pulled the strings, even if that wasn't necessarily his role. But um, I think his quality and just his his raw talent really stood out amongst the rest of uh, his opponents and his teammates. Um, he scored a few goals for Ecuador, so he has that goal-scoring touch. But I, I really think he's just a player to kind of keep an eye out for, um, especially from South America, and uh, that has like this unique offensive presence about him. For me, for me personally, seeing the Ecuador team do relatively well, you know, get out of the group, and, and yes, they were knocked out, but seeing them do well was, as you as you mentioned, a kind of a follow-on from from this year um, with their under twenty side. Um, in Poland, who, who did really well. They were quite unexpected, really, but with that sort of attacking verve and that stereotypical, you know, South American flair that you always associate with the likes of Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, those types of players, it was good to see it from from an Ecuadorian side. Um, and yeah, there was very much a lot of the same at um, at, at this tournament as well. Uh, but just as we're mentioning the, the Under-20 World Cup, the comparisons, one thing that's, that struck me is that the South Korea team, which we we fell in love with at the at the Under Twenty World Cup, they're under seventeens um, this year who are still in the tournament at the time of recording. They're they're in the quarterfinal against against Mexico. They play a very similar style to how their under twenties play, and it's it's very much using a focal point in attack with you know with willing runners up and down the wings as well as sort of a, a number ten that will sit in the hole and kind of just float around and help with ball retention they're not very focused on on keeping the ball they're not a, they're not a ball centric team they are very they, they work very hard that's that was one of the the things that made them so watchable uh, at the under 20s and it's very much the same at the under 17s because they are they work for each other they don't have unlike the under 20s who had a Lee Kang in they don't really have a star man um, but as a unit, they, they work really well. And I think that the way that they frustrate teams, especially at under 17 level, where perhaps opponents don't really have that resolve or experience and, you know, teams will tire easier and, and they don't have that experience of, you know, how to break a, break a team down. That, that, that organisation has seen them come really far. Um, I was just wondering if, if you'd caught any, any games uh, that, of any team that, that really that stood out to you as like a, as a group performance rather than an individual player. Yeah, and I mean, um, it's actually interesting you brought up South Korea because one of the teams that like I kind of wanted to keep tabs on as the tournament started was um, Haiti from the CONCACAF because watching them in their qualifiers, um, quality is obviously not as high there, 
But as a collective unit, they were just surprisingly very, very good. Um, I wouldn't put them at the level of any of the European competitors or any of their teams or opponents that they played in the group stage. But as a collective unit, they were very, very good. Um, and they have one player, uh, Fredler Kristoff, who immediately after their qualifiers for this World Cup, I was very excited to kind of see where his career led him. Um, he's one of those players that comes from a not so big footballing country and is just oddly talented and very good. And it kind of surprises you. Um, and I, I learned recently that he actually landed a move um, to Strasbourg in Liga. And so my hope is that with how well young players just kind of flood into France and flood into Ligue 1, um, we'll be seeing him pretty soon playing in their midfield. Um, he's just very smooth on the ball. He he turned kind of like um, as if you were watching Hazard play. It's it's just like it's a very it's a very nice uh, style for a midfielder who's not necessarily a ten, um, but more but not necessarily a box to box midfielder either. Um, and I think he's just one to kind of keep an eye out for. Yeah, I mean. You mentioned that that he was going to move to Ligue 1 and 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 that he can play as a ten, but he's also quite quite good box to box. A player that is very similar to, to that, who is probably at a higher level um, than him, is Adil Oshish, who, who plays for France at the under seventeens. Um, but I think we spoke about him briefly on a previous pod uh, where he scored nine goals in five games at, at the under seventeen Euros in the spring. Um, but he he's been great so far. I think he's the only player to register four assists um, at this under seventeen World Cup. Um, he's been great for France. Uh, they were in in Haiti's group, uh, and he's just such a such a, a graceful player that he's so versatile. And, and that is where France kind of have the have the dominance over over the sides. It's in the middle of the park because Ashish is a number eight, but he can also play as a number ten. He's very capable of doing that. Um, he's a great dribbler. He's a great passer. He's a great. He's great at picking those little needle passes that will that will thread through into the box. And just, he just does it with a really great aesthetic to 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 his play as well, and it's it's really nice to watch. And he he is a player that I will I will continue to rave about uh, because he is so he's just at such a better level than the rest of the teams that he's playing around. And he's yeah he's made his d- debut for PSG already this season. And obviously, has had a very good tournament there. And I think the Under Seventeen World Cup was going to be the real test for him because, yes, he hadn't been playing that much football at a high level. He'd been playing in 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 the youth UEFA Youth League for PSG's Under Nineteen side. But he's hit the ground running with France again at, at, at another tournament, and it just goes to show that his his output at the at the um, Under Seventeen Euros wasn't a fluke. And I just think that it's, it's great. It's great to see a player like that develop, and and no doubt we're going to follow him over the next few years. And it's nice, kind of having that, seeing that player develop and continue to develop, and have that real consistent output of, of goals and assists from a, from a position which, you know, isn't traditionally someone who's going to score a lot. You know, he's a number eight transitioning into a ten, but he still manages to find himself in space, and that's one of the the best features about his, his style is, is his ability to find space, his ability to evade pressure. He's, he, he's a fantastic player. And, and I think France should be, without a doubt, uh, considered um, one of the favourites for this tournament, for sure. Yeah, I think um, between them, uh, Brazil, obviously, and 
Spain have a nice, good unit. I feel like Spain always does, regardless of what level it's at. Um, their teams are just always a very good, cohesive unit um, with their passing style of play. Obviously, everyone's got to get involved, but um, to have that philosophy and try and play it is one thing, but to actually execute it and have it come off so as as well as Spain has it um, is different. So I think those three are probably the biggest um, or the most likely to take home the Under-17 World Cup, in my opinion. I think the Netherlands have an outside chance. Um, and obviously, we were saying South Korea as a – as another team that's like a big cohesive unit, we saw their uh, under twenty team under twenty team um, make it to the final of their respective World Cup. So I don't see why they couldn't mimic um, the same thing here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned there that the, the Netherlands have a good chance as well. And depending on when you listen to this, the the, the winner of the under seventeen World Cup may have been decided, or the teams that were mentioning may have been knocked out. But one thing that strikes me about the the Dutch side is that there's a real um, Ajax core. Uh, at, the, at the center of this Dutch Dutch squad, I mean, they've got uh, Calvin Ratzi in goal, uh, Yuri Regeer and Devin Rensch at centre back, um, Anas Saladin at left back, Kenneth Taylor, their captain, in the middle, um, Nasi Univar on the right wing, and, and Sonti Hansen at centre forward. And I mean, they they got off to a slow start, but in the in the games following that uh, against the US in particular, they were such a they, they were such a cohesive unit. It's almost as if something had finally clicked. And they just looked a class above. And the one player that has been great for them, it has been Sonja Hansen, purely because of his versatility. And he can play as a centre forward, but he can also play on the right. And when he pulls wide to the to the right, what that does is it opens space in the middle for the likes of uh, Tabuni, the likes of Unavar, um, the likes of Matson and, and Taylor to, to perhaps get a little bit further forward up the pitch when they ordinarily wouldn't be as further forward as, as a centre forward would be. And I think that's caused problems for teams. And two of the two of Sonja Hansen's goals um, at this tournament so far have been have, have been from cutbacks where he's been arriving late into the box. And obviously, you wouldn't associate that with a traditional forward who's you know going to be in there uh, anyway. But arriving late has, has obviously paid dividends for him, and it's a good system that, they, that they've got there. And and if he's another one just like Oshish that it proves that you know he, he hasn't just had a good four or five games. Um, it's it's not a fluke. It, he's been involved in ten goals in his last ten under seventeen Netherlands appearances, um, with eight goals and two assists. So he's he's got that he's got that magic touch in, in front of goal, and I think that he's an, he's another one who, I mean, if Netherlands don't win the tournament, he'll be up there for for, for a shot at the golden boot for definite. Hansen's movement up top by himself as the lone striker kind of creates space for players like Tabuni and Unavar. Um, to find their own creative grooves and to find their sweet spots in the field. Um, and I think th- that's one of the strong spots of the Netherlands game is that their movement is so rapid uh, and so consistent that other teams can't really figure out how to negate it uh, in time before they work up an opportunity uh, in the final third. Um, if you don't have an athletic team yourself or one in which your players are willing to work to cover players, um, you know, for a full 90 minutes and not just uh, an on and off spurt, it's going to be hard to stop this Netherlands team from scoring. And obviously the game against Senegal, I think, was a one-off that they lost. I think Senegal kind of came into this tournament and surprised a lot of people uh, with how well they were playing. 
but as the knockout stages show, I think the teams with um, more of an identity and more of a technical ability rather than um, just kind of coming in without being known all too well sort of uh, set the tone for the tournament. But this Dutch team I, I, is, is really scary considering that it's most likely that these players are going to get opportunities with their first teams. And even just the slightest chance of them improving upon their current, um, you know, potentials or just growing as players uh, should really worry a lot of international teams, I think, for uh, in, in relation to the Dutch's depth at the senior side eventually. Yeah, there, there seems to be a, a definite pathway for, for young players, young Dutch players in particular, to, to get minutes at their senior clubs. I mean, obviously that's that goes without saying, you know, the likes of Ajax, PSV and, and even AZ Alkmaar um, this season as well. Um, but yeah, this, this Dutch side, they're exciting. They've, they've got into their groove. It started to click and they've hit the ground running just at the right time. And I think that they do. I mean, you you said they had an outside chance. I think they've probably got as as good a chance as as perhaps Brazil, the hosts, um, who've who've also been very good. Um, if, I mean, if you're looking for players to to excite and entertain, then that Brazil side are exactly that. They're they're very functional as well. Um, they 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 have players like Gabriel Veron and uh, João Peglo, both very exciting attacking midfielders who can also double as double as secondary forwards or supplementary forwards. Um, but the way they work around Caio Jorge um, up front, who kind of acts as like a focal point and is a foil for the the creative uh, and attacking more attacking elements that that he has playing behind him. I think Brazil have been have been very good in that respect. Um, but just back to the Netherlands, they all they they're very they're a possession based side because they are good on the ball. They all know each other. But they're also good going forward in, in, in a counter-attacking sense as well because they have that speed of the, you know the likes of Hansen, the likes of Tabuni, the likes of uh, Jaden Braff, who, who's at Man- Manchester City. Um, the one area that I'd p- perhaps say that the Netherlands might need to work on uh, in comparison to other teams at the tournament is their solidity at the back. They're probably more occupied with playing good football rather than being organised. Whereas I think France, for example, they are, they are very good at being organised. I think they're one of the only teams to have conceded one or two goals um, at this, at this so far at the tournament, and the way that France kind of have someone like Lucien Agume, who is, in truth is just a, a complete dominator in, in the middle. Like he's so he's so silky on the ball, but he if you're gonna get into a ground duel with him, you know you're not you're not gonna win. He he's brilliant, but they have that that protection in front of in front of the back four in Lucien Agume. Um, I don't I don't feel like ne- the Netherlands have that. They have some. They, I mean, they they can put Regeer into midfield and maybe stick Kiana Herver at centre back. But Kenneth Taylor isn't that player. He's much more of a deep line creator, and I think that's maybe where they may come undone. But that remains to be seen, really. I think I think a big part of their game, like you said, is uh, this possession based football. They obviously want to keep possession for as long as possible because I I think they do recognize that they are um, a little bit weak in defense. It's not necessarily their strongest position. Um, so obviously you can't be scored against if your opponents don't have the ball. But that is going to be harder when they play teams like France, like Brazil, like Spain, uh, as the tournament narrows down. Their next round match um, against Paraguay probably will allow them to play that possession-based football um, and kind of just dominate as they usually do. However, Paraguay upset Argentina 
um, when they were down 2-0. So really anything can happen with this Paraguayan team and with this tournament in general. It's all just a bunch of surprises at the under-17 level. And that's why it's very hard to kind of assess certain players or all players um, really because they still have so much time to kind of develop and become their own. But I think it's going to be it's going to be exciting regardless of who advances beyond this stage to see how it all works out. Yeah, for definite. I mean, uh, I think that's a good point you make there as well, Justin, that we do need to temper expectations. It's very easy to tar players with a certain brush and say like they are this type of player or they are that type of player or they fulfill a certain role. And yes, they are still 16, 17 year old. So they're going to they're going to be moldable. They're, They're all players who haven't fully developed yet. In, in terms of stylistically, physically, m- mentally. So there's a lot to be made about it, but as ever, it does, you know, th- there does need to be expectation tempered here. And it's always, it's always a funny one with, with the under 17 World Cup because there are players that, for example, that we've mentioned that we are dead certs t- to, be, to be like great professional footballers, maybe not world-class because, you know, you couldn't make that presumption now, but they, they, they will be at a good level. And then there are other pl- other players like like you mentioned that Senegal team. They've come, they came in to the tournament, surprised a few people with a good few um, a few good results and really dynamic counter attacking football. Yes, they you, they're good to watch, but perhaps maybe not as not as solid as, as the likes of the France team, not as organised. But the excitement factor is definitely there. Whether they'll have the opportunity to 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 for example, a lot of them play domestically. Whether they'd have the opportunity to come to Europe. You know, it, it depends. So, yeah, there's a lot to be made uh, about players at an under-17 tournament. Um, but, yeah, as you were saying, Justin, you know, we need to be we need to be very sort of careful with how sensationalist we are just in describing them. So that just about finishes our, our under-17 feature. I'd just like to thank Justin. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's been good getting back recording. Obviously, things been very busy with the with the upcoming release of, of Volume 4, which uh, will complete the set of 2019 Scouted Football Handbooks. Um, but yeah, we've got a few, uh, a few podcasts in the pipeline, so uh, keep an eye out. We're going to be getting out some more uh, more pods in, in the next few weeks uh, at a more regular, regular basis as well. Um, but yeah, Justin, thanks for joining me on this one. Uh, thanks for thanks for your insight on MLS and, and obviously on on the Under Seventeen World Cup as well. Yeah, of course, always a pleasure. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, but thank you for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, like, comment. You know, leave us some feedback uh, on on the pod. Uh, as ever, we always like to know how we can improve or what you do or don't like. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us, um, and we'll see you very soon. Bye bye.